0: We'll
1: episode 12. It is the last episode of the season and it has really taken I think everything in me to be here today because today's episode is one of probably the most difficult that I think I've ever recorded and I'm grateful that you're here. Thank you for following me. Thank you for being a part of the podcast for the last three and a half years. We started the podcast in March of 20, COVID happened, and I needed an outlet, and here we
0: are today. What is this? November
1: 2020. I'm here with my husband, Russ.
0: Hello, I... no, thanks for the... bring me back again. <laughs> At least Tony brings me back when I bring good wine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, of course. I mean, why not, right? You're only here because you bring the good wine. So by the way, I can't drink regular wine anymore because of this man. So we better come through. <laughs> so it is um, the last episode of the season. It's been a very difficult season to record. It's been a really hard season for me. Um, I think, in terms of my life, I think this season of my life has probably won- has been one of the hardest. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. And it's about. Um, advocating for our family it's about advocating for the elderly it's about talking a little bit of how we want to take care of our loved ones at the end of life and at the end of their stage in life so that's what we're here for us are you ready you know what Tell everybody what you're drinking
0: today. You're a drinker. They're
1: drink. always interested
0: in what you're drinking. You're a drinker. 2017. Friday, Monday. Just a great crowd. It's specific to eastern Sicily, of the city. It's a great a Category. It's a white grape. Eastern Sicily. and It's really popular out there. It's really up to the It's a great value quality price ratio that you get uh, for this particular bottle. So 2017 Terra Nueva is the uh, producer and it's Hidna an Bianco the grape of Catecante. Where can people buy it? You can get it at the Houston Wine Merchant you can get it at AOC which is the retail operation of Texas Wine School. You possibly you could probably find it at Specs as well. Those are the two uh, uh, retailers. What does AOC
1: stand
0: for? Art, Art of Cellar. It's the retail wing of the Texas Wine School where you can uh, buy your wine there, they got a lot of talented people that work at AOC. Got a master sommelier, a couple advanced, uh, one advanced sommelier, some WSET fours, and so it's it's uh, you're not gonna you're not, you're not you can't go you can't go wrong by going to AOC and finding a bad bottle. It's all handcrafted and well curated products and producers that they. Uh,
1: and Rusk, you just completed a test for one of your Italian yes, studies. Right.
0: So I, I started with the WSET program a few years back in 2020, when COVID hit, all the uh, business kind of came to a low in the action for a little while. So I needed something to keep myself busy. For the next two years, I went through the uh, WSET uh, courses and finally finished with a level three, which was probably the most challenging. And then after I finished that, I, I did the uh, scholar programs with the Wine Scholars Guild. I, I did Spanish first, which was about six months. And then uh, after Spanish, I did French, and then after French, I did Sherry, which was a short program, very specific, uh, grapefruit a very specific region. And I also did Texas, uh, level one, and now I just embarked on probably the longest of the three old world regions, Italy. It's split up in two sections, north and south, and most people take north first, but I always have to do things different because I just want to be different, and I decided to do south first. So I just finished out on Sunday, passed the exam, now I probably embark on north next year probably another four to six months and hopefully wrap up italy
1: well, that's amazing i'm just so proud of you and everything that you've accomplished you set your sights on uh, learning about wine and that's what you've been doing since 2020 january of 2020
0: uh, you gotta start something you gotta finish it yeah i
1: agree i agree and that's why we're finishing this season thank you for that Right turn. Um, (laughs) That segue right there, Rusk. Um, Yeah, so we're finishing off the season. We're finishing off where we started for season 11. We um, started the season in, uh, I guess, August or September, August or September. And here we are, November of 2023. And to say that the last six weeks have been the most difficult of my life, I think, is, is to say the least, I'm grateful to be here today to talk about it because um, it's it hasn't been easy. It's been actually pretty rough, but I think a lot of people don't realize. And I added this quote on my Instagram account the other day, and I think it's just so amazing that um, that some people captured the essence of the quote. Because if you know me, you know that I probably don't share a lot of my private life, but one thing I, I I did say in this quote, which is super um, accurate, was just because I carry it all so well doesn't mean it's not easy or doesn't mean it's not heavy. Just because I carry it all so well doesn't mean it's not heavy. So it's just kind of talking about all the heaviness that's been happening. So as many of you know, I've talked about this in other episodes about the San West generation and those of us that are, you know, Gen Xers that are taking care of our parents or taking care of our kids. Um, Let's go over this way because we're on, on video. And so <laughs> you can scoot over at all. I did. <laughs> Half an inch. That was nine inches. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so you know we did talk about uh, you know how we take care of our parents, we take care of our kids. Um, there's a lot of us that are in that sandwich generation, and I think one of the things that we don't want to discuss very much is end of life, end of Life, um, organizing, scheduling. um,
0: End of life care.
1: Care, yeah, and health care for sure. So that's what I want to talk about today because um, a week ago, today, yeah, October 31st, my mother passed away. She had been sick with a chronic disease for many, many years, for five years. We discovered she had liver disease in...
0: 2018.
1: Yeah, January 2018th. It was, um, and we discovered this, by the way, because my mother got lost um, going to Ross and she couldn't make it home. She couldn't remember how to get home. And that's not Alzheimer's. That's not anything like that. It's a a memory loss. What happens is her liver produced so much ammonia because it was already so sick that it infected her brain. So once the ammonia heads to your brain, it gives you like a memory fog. Right. It creates a loss of memory. Yeah, it
0: clouded her judgment. It also clouded her memory.
1: Exactly. So she didn't know how to get back home. So for hours, we were looking around for her. We went everywhere. My father called all of his kids, his two girls, and and two boys and he's like i can't find mom i don't know where she went i know that she went shopping somewhere she was at the ross parking lot the whole time and she couldn't make it home and she didn't remember how to make it home that's how we discovered that she was pretty sick because she had severe memory fog and that's the ammonia that goes from the liver to the brain and it causes that memory loss So we took her straight to the hospital, Memorial Hermann at Spring Branch, and that's what they said. They said, you know, your mother has cirrhosis, and um, I think it was stage two. It was it was in like quite advanced I yet, would call but stage it, two. right. So we, you know, just followed the doctor's orders. This was 2018. This was January. We were ready to go off to a quinceanera in Paris in March, and she got herself together. She pulled it together, which is what she always did, and we headed out to Paris in 2018 for a quinceanera, and we had the best time. However, coming back, you know, you have to remember that she's sick and she's got a chronic disease. By the way, liver disease is a chronic disease, and a lot of people think that you get cirrhosis of the liver just from drinking a lot or just partying and all that, but no, my mother had it and it was a fatty liver disease. So it can be NASH, it's non-alcoholic liver disease. So for her, it was more hereditary. Her father had um, issues with his liver. He had hepatitis a few times. He also was an alcoholic who also gave up um, drinking later in his life. We don't know what caused it. We really don't have an idea of what caused her liver disease. Right. We are just assuming that it was hereditary because she never had a drink in her right. life. By the way, she hated drinking. She hated alcohol. Right. Um, and it was more psychological for her. It wasn't a taste thing. She just hated the way that it caused her father to not be present in her right. life. And so I think that's where it, it was mentally from. traumatic for your yeah, mother. Yeah, it was mentally traumatic. So for her to die from a, a disease that her father I guess, imposed on her was something very sad and very ironic.
0: Very ironic. And I think that you're... Uh, I think there was some speculation because your mother had chemo back in 2001. for uh, was it stage 1 mm. or stage 2 breast cancer? Stage
1: 2B breast, breast stage cancer. Two.
0: So Maybe there's a possibility that the chemo that she had gone through may have caused some damage to her liver.
1: We don't know. We I don't think know. We, it's just speculation. Yeah, it's speculation. Yeah. I think we've all kind of assume all different kinds of things. But just because... I carry it all so well doesn't mean it's not heavy. That's a really important um, thing because, and it's a great quote for me because I always do carry a lot of stuff. And it's been five years of being at her beck and call because we've been on call for her, not only me, but my brothers and my sister, um, because if she feels sick or something doesn't go right or it can affect it, – it can affect any possible part. The liver affects everything in your body, by the way. That's what we learned. Yeah, it affects not only your brain and your memory because you can lose your memory and you can, have you know, create it's fog It's the workhorse pneumonia. of the body. That's what, it is the workhorse. That's what the
0: cardiovascular surgeon has said when we had – when your mom was in her final throes at the – Yeah. He said that a lot of people think it's the heart and it's the brain, but he said it's, you know – Liver. The liver has four to five hundred different functions, and and it uh, so it, it's basically the power plant.
1: Right. So the one thing that I definitely want to go over today with you all is just sort of how we tackled her healthcare and what we learned from it because it wasn't easy. It was something that we tackled quite frequently, um, and I feel like, and I tell Rusk at this time, like I felt like I was always sort of at her beck and call. I never really lived the last five years fully because I'm always waiting for that call where we're going to go pick her up and just take her to the hospital for something, for some sort of... I guess, complication from the disease. Yeah, there, there could have been so many complications. It could have been gastritis and she was vomiting so much.
0: Right. Because it was one of those functions of the liver, right? So exactly. To, con- to contribute to the digestive system.
1: Right. Um, she was on lactulose all the time, so right. she was having to drink that. And then her blood sugar was always going up, so she was either pre- pre-diabetic or diabetic, so we always had to right. manage her diet. Yeah,
0: this last year was really tough. It was very hard. But the previous four years or so were kind of, you know, kind of were... Mm-hmm. We sailing for a while, but yeah. when 2023 hit, it, it really amped up and the liver, as the liver went into a decline and as the summer approached, the liver went to even further decline to the point where it was almost at the point where it was no longer uh, uh, working efficiently. I think the doctor had told me that it was up to like 20% and then uh, you know to the final three weeks when your mother was in the hospital right here in October, yeah, uh, it was, I, yeah just I, wanted- think, I think I it was down to like 5% efficiency was what the doctor had told me outside the uh, room talk them separately for sure.
1: right for sure and i think the one the one thing i definitely want to just do is shout out to memorial no sorry to willowbrook willowbrook methodist. methodist hospital yep um they did an amazing job my mom started at memorial Herman, and then she moved that's why it keeps coming up in my mind but it, she moved to the west road well, area
0: west road area
1: right? Uh, jersey village area yeah, 290
0: guest I uh, guess yeah
1: and then we moved her to that hospital over right. there we moved her to methodist willowbrook and they were fantastic they were lovely they were wonderful and for all the times that we were there they took care of her and they were some of the best doctors i think we've ever talked to but one of the things that I want to talk about is definitely give you some tips on how to talk to the doctors when you're going through this situation. Because a lot of us are going to go through this situation, especially as our parents are growing older, um, senoras out there. You're taking care of your parents. You're taking care of, of grandparents. Definitely, when you're talking to doctors, and this is part of a handbook that I wrote about um, about advocating for your for your for your family. I'm definitely saying for sure you need to speak with confidence. I think doctors want to know that you are there and you mean business because a lot of times people walk in and doctors think that you're just somebody that doesn't know enough or doesn't have enough information. You have to come in with enough information about your your patient, your family member. So talk with confidence. Come in with a set of questions ready to go. Talk about the symptoms your family is experiencing. Like Documented, and I would talk to my mom honestly right before we head to the doctor. And I would say, "Mom, what are you going through? Like, what are the things that you've been feeling?" And I would document it. and I would write it down in my phone in my notes. And I would say, "Okay, doctor, this is what my mom has been feeling for the last, you know, for few weeks." So definitely come in with your symptoms. Um, if you're meeting the doctor for the first time, Google the doctor and research them a little bit. Like get get their background, know know them a little bit. Sure. Find out who they are. Yep. Also, give them a list of immediate. Um, contacts, phone numbers, that kind of thing. If you're not feeling like, and also if you're not feeling like you're being heard, definitely um, change doctors. There's different doctors for different things. And if I felt like my mom wasn't being heard, I definitely asked for somebody else.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, you and uh, your sister particularly uh, did a wonderful job of staying on top of uh, your mom's uh, healthcare needs. As far as I know for the last 20 years, but you guys really stepped up these last six months or so. And then, these last three weeks and it's you know what they always say it's a ounce of prevention is a pound of cure and if you guys uh uh if it if it uh i don't know it's just like i haven't been through it i haven't been through myself my parents are kind of old too but i'm i'm pretty sure my parents times are coming in the next few years and
1: you've also had those moments when you have to go and pick up your mother doctor yeah but it's but
0: it's never been anything serious it's just been like minor Mm -hmm. stuff where she had a year ache and stuff like that
1: i think if you are their caregiver like definitely have a preparation checklist again i have that on my website go over there and i'm also going to link it on my on my on my um podcast episode there's a preparation checklist i mean i go back into like talking about the lab work that the people had I always went in and I had like a list of the things that my mom had had done and one of the things that she always hated and was just the worst thing in the world was when she had to have blood drawn because she could not she didn't have veins in her in her arms that were um, easy to tap so that was always an issue so I always reviewed those things with the, with the nurses that were going to tap her blood because I always said to them you have to be super extra gentle with her because she, number one, is traumatized by it because they poke her, poke her, poke right. her, hurt her, she's traumatized. And number two, you have to use an ultrasound machine. Yeah. So you have to know your patient really well so that when you get to the hospital and you get to the clinic or wherever you're going, that you advocate for them and say, you cannot get blood drawn from her unless you have an ultrasound machine because you will not be able to get a vein. And if you try, you are going to torture my mother. Right. You don't want to do that. Do not torture my mom. Yeah, your mom was
0: tortured (laughs) quite a bit this year.
1: Yeah, she was. And thankfully, she had people that would advocate for her. But at the end of the day, when she was there the last month and a half, we had to have a midline um, inserted in her arm because we couldn't find a place for her. Right. So, um, you know, have your checklist ready. Talk to those doctors. Be um, prepared for those moments and those big questions. I would say when you're in the hospital, be involved. Speak to the doctors. Speak to the nurses. And I go over what did they just have done? What was the exam? What did it say? Well, the wonderful thing about um, Methodist Willowbrook is that we have a chart, and they would they would definitely put everything on her chart. So there's a my chart. You log in. You go in there, and it gives you everything that they've had. All of their tests, everything that they've had. Um, yeah,
0: the March my chart's is very convenient. I
1: know it's great. Right. It's an amazing tool, so definitely stay on top of that. And then I also talk about like what to talk of, what to do when you're at the hospital with your with your family, um, the things that would make them happy and the things that would thrill them. I know that my mother loved when I would bring that tomato soup from La Yeah. <laughs> and, and I warmed it up for her. She loved it. Yeah. yeah. And I know that her doctors didn't like the sodium. I know they didn't have. But you know what? At the end of stage, she just needed some relief and some um, something that made her happy. Yeah,
0: it made her comfortable. And it made her happy. Kind of gave her some uh, solace in the situa- situation that was in, she was in.
1: So family support is super important. And I think one of the things that Rusk and I always talk about is, you know, when you you're going through a situation like this with your family and you guys have um, extended family or you're the caregiver and you have a a family of your own. Again, the sandwich generation, we're right in the middle, we're the little baloney between the two breads. Um, I always had a really... um, Really, really good one-on-one with Rosk about what was going on with my mom. That way he knew that I was required, that I needed to be there. If I couldn't be there, my sister was going to be there. If she couldn't be there, my brother was going to be there. But it's so important that you have that conversation with your family, especially when you're taking care of parents. And you also have that conversation with your own kids because even though you think the kids are just going to function and it's all going to go well and it's going to be okay, the kids know what's going on. Right?
0: No, no, they were they were feeling it for sure. We were all feeling it, mm-hmm. especially these last three weeks in October. Uh, it was it was intense for you. It was intense for your your brothers and sisters. It was intense, obviously, for your father. Your father used to. Your father would call you several times a day. He kind of felt helpless. You guys were helpless. We were helpless. Um, You know, we were kind of on pins and needles and on the edge wondering, you know, what's going on because you had a job. You had to go to the hospital. You were trying to shuffle both. You were trying to also be a mother and a wife. And we were telling you, it's not, we don't need you to be a mother and a wife right now. We need you to take care of your mother. We are trying to make those, uh, alleviate at least that part of the stress and make it easier. And we got this at home and you know it was it was it was a tough time these last 3 weeks and especially the last like 48 to 72 hours when when the doctor the general physician had decided Oversaw the, all the specialists, and he had called in, and he had he had he had talked to you, and he said you need to bring in your entire family to make a decision because there isn't that much that we can do for your mother anymore. Yeah, she's at end stage liver disease. Uh, she had these uh, she had a hematoma that has started in her knee that has spread through her entire right leg and then into her back, and we kind of knew that we were approaching the end of your mom's life, and. And it was it was torturous for you. And we felt, you know, the boys and I really felt sorry for you because we couldn't do anything. We wanted we wanted you to be happy, and also to be aware that of the realities of the situation at the same time. Right,
1: right,
0: right. So it, it was it was tough. I mean, it was it was tough to watch, especially somebody that you know was a great. She was a great abuela. She was a great grandmother. She was a great wife. She was a great mother to you guys. Uh, she loved her grandkids. Uh, Her, her duty, her role in this world was, was to be a mother, to be, you know, that's all she wanted. That's all she wanted to be. And and, and she's exceeded that expectation. She was one of the best out there.
1: I agree. And I think one of the words that you mentioned earlier that I think it's important that we reiterate is you feel helpless. You feel helpless as much as you try to. To be on top of all the doctor's appointments, to be on top of her medicine, right. to make sure she's got her appointments, to make sure she's following her diet, to making sure that she's not doing anything that's going to be detrimental to her health. You feel helpless at the end of the day when she is right. sick at the hospital and you can't do anything about it. And I think that's the worst part for her caregivers. Right. Um her kids is we saw right. how much suffering she had. So right. she was doing fine for five years. And until like recently she started to deteriorate. And then she took a trip to Medina with my daddy and she fell and she fell on one of her legs. Yep. So on her knee, right. On she her was right. Getting, knee.
0: They had rent. They, they did a tour out right. there, got on a double decker bus mm-hmm. and she slipped from what we've been told. And she hit the knee and that's kind of where you yeah. know, that was the beginning of the end, unfortunately the for your mother, end. because she had no liver, and most healthy people or somebody with a semi function liver could probably bounce back from that, and yeah. she couldn't bounce back from it. She couldn't, But, but and so she But she was, at that point, she was already at end stage, and that, that was, unfortunately, no pun intended, that was yeah. kind of the nail in the coffin. That was,
1: right. that was the nail in the coffin, and that's really the catalyst that led to everything, because when she fell on that leg, she... She developed a hematoma, which is you know when you get bruising and the bruising doesn't go away yes. and the and it blood causes swelling. right it causes swelling and the bleeding doesn't the blood doesn't clot, clot yep. because her liver isn't clotting right. and she's getting um, blood and the blood still doesn't work. She got pints of blood at the yeah. hospital. She was
0: losing a liter of blood a day. Yeah, and what she we was. learned was uh, from the doctors is that the liver. Uh, um, Triggers a hormone, creates a hormone for the bone marrow uh, to develop, to produce platelets to coagulate the blood. But as we also learned that at that age, your bones, and I didn't know this, I I thought your bone marrow existed throughout your bones through through your whole life. As you get older, your bone marrows dwindle and they only end up in the pelvic region. So, So there's no, there's, there, you have, you're now, you're now, the supply of bone marrow and the supply of platelets is now isolated to very small. Portion of your body, so the probability of producing those platelets is now diminished, and I think that all kind of cascaded into a, a bad situation for your mother.
1: It did and definitely was like a domino effect, and I think the fact that you know she fell and she created she she developed a hematoma, which ultimately her vascular doctor said she's not observing the blood. You right. know, you when you get bruised, eventually your your body just absorbs it, because your liver is working over time to absorb it. But hers wasn't, and her and when her liver start started um, deteriorating, her kidneys started deteriorating as well. So little by little, every single organ was. Um, not working anymore so as we spoke to her doctors we really just knew that this was sort of the end of the road for her and so as you're you're thinking about you know you're at the doctors you know that it's kind of leading at the end of the road the one thing i definitely want to recommend and it's something that my mother did in 2021 is that she and i both contacted a lawyer and we really did set up a trust and a will and we had a conversation with our lawyer, Mitzi Rivero. Um, she was our lawyer. She was fantastic and a lovely lady who was super patient with my parents, and she created a will for us, and we really had a conversation about like what's going to happen at the end of life, and the one thing about my mother that I love, and it was a gift that she gave me at the end of life, is she made it all very easy and seamless for us to be able to handle all of her end-of-life right. care because she said this is what I want this is what I don't want and she had that conversation with us she had the conversation with me she set me up as an exec- executor of her will and so when we spoke to Mitzi she said to Mitzi this is what I want when the end of life I do, we talked about end-of-life care we talked about a do not resuscitate we talked about like Um, who's going to take over her passwords? Who's going to take over her bank account? How are we paying for her funeral, which by the way, she did not want a funeral. So we did not have that. And at the end of the day, she paid for her crematorium and that was it. She said she just wanted a celebration of life because she wasn't sad. She lived her life fully and happily. So she did not want anybody crying at a funeral or anything like that. She was the most pragmatic, beautiful woman that you could ever imagine. And I'm so grateful for that because those are the lessons that I still take on with me because we followed everything to the T. So at the end of the day, October 31st is when she passed and we were called upon her home because my brother was there with her again we had all taken turns taking care of her we were finally at hospice care which I want to just mention Silverado hospice care was fantastic and they were lovely um, and uh, as I was talking to them I gave them our directives for the physicians I gave them the directives for the family and surrogates I told them about my mother's DNR so she had all of that So make sure you have all of those documents ready to go, because when they pass, at the end of the day, you do have to call 911 or a doctor needs to come in and certify their death.
0: Yeah, that's what we, that's, uh, you know, I I never had, I've never had anybody close pass to me. I don't have a large family in Houston, so it was a a little bit of a a learning lesson of how this uh, process works. And it's great that Alicia's parents and her brothers and sisters had one, they all get along, which is fantastic. It's so many times that you don't see siblings, and there's a lot of rivalry and yeah. a lot of dispute and and vitriol that goes on. But that's not the case in Alicia's uh, Alicia's family, so that made for lots, a lot a lot more of a seamless process. And and uh, but the fact that they had everything prepared ahead of time also made it for a very seamless process. Unfortunately, we're all heading in that direction one day, and why make it difficult on the people that love you? By not being prepared for it, and the fact that they had the DNR, that they had the directives, uh, that the uh, uh, that it was all kind of it was all kind of arranged. The will was set up, and and, and it just it'll, yeah. it'll you know a lot of a lot of time you know I read in the business section. I follow this estate planner guy, and, and the stories that he he uh, retells in his article of all the people that don't have this stuff prepared and the complications and the difficulties. And it's already a bad situation to begin with, and why make the situation worse? Absolutely. Because it's already, you know, it's it's traumatic, it's sad, it's depressing, it's not anything of the positive nature. And and if you don't uh, you don't prepare yourself for these kinds of things, it it made it easier. So they they were all ready to go. So as soon as Elise's mom passed in that afternoon, yeah, we were advised to call nine one one. You know, the paramedics showed up. They did their thing to to confirm death, and then. Uh, the hospice uh, care had to uh, fill out some paperwork and then the next thing was on to the funeral home they were there within an hour and th- she her, her intentions were very clear she didn't want a funeral she wanted right. cremation yeah. and nothing fancy no frills but you know to each his own on what they how they want to handle their death yeah. but the important thing is is that these things were handled ahead of time because trying to scramble to do all this the last minute especially the DNR and the directive is huge Because that's one thing that we kept getting um, asked for was, did you have a DNR? And then when we produced it, do you have a directive? And we, Alicia, had all that paperwork ready to go. We handed it to the hospice. We handed it to the paramedics. uh, We handed it to the funeral. And I I think it was a funeral home. I I lost track of who all we handed (coughs) it to. But it was (laughs) asked a lot. It was asked several times. And, uh, you know, just it, it makes for a lot easier process in such a traumatic and saddening and depressing situation
1: definitely important that you really have that conversation ahead of time because i'm i'm just looking at the dates for our directive and it was signed in february and it was february of 2022 so this is literally a year and a half ago when we signed all these documents february 2nd 2022 and it's directives to physicians and it does say terminal condition I request that all treatments other than those needed to keep me comfortable be discontinued or withheld, and my physician allow me to die as gently as possible. And that is something that she signed, and it's here, and I have that because I made sure and I knew I had to have that conversation with my parents because uh, it's important.